0: Hi and welcome to HealthTrust Clinical Services Candid Conversations. This is a conversation series where we highlight physicians, clinicians, and supply chain leaders who are innovating, caring for those in need, and working to improve human life. In this conversation, I talk to Dr. Jessica Israel, the Senior Vice President of Palliative Care and Geriatrics at RWJ Barnabas Health. She also leads their geriatric and palliative care service lines. More recently, she has been instrumental in developing palliative care resources for COVID-19 patients. With the surge of patients and patient families typically not being able to be at the bedside, communication has become key. In this episode, find out how she has led her organization in optimal communication and patient care planning during this pandemic and for all chronically ill patients in need. Welcome, Dr. Israel. Thanks for having me.
1: My name is Jessica Israel, but I go by Jesse, and I am uh, the senior vice president of Geriatrics and Palliative Care at RWJ Barnabas Health in New Jersey. We are the largest healthcare network in our state. Amazing,
2: that's wonderful, and uh, it looks like you've just spent a lot of time in both palliative care, and then also specifically during COVID, you've you've played a in geriatrics. But you played a larger role in helping um, physicians, nurses get um, by providing resources so that they can speak to their patients and have some of these hard conversations that are happening. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about um, how you have um, assisted during the COVID process with some of these patient conversations.
1: So my role is primarily administrative for the for the system, but I'm also um, I still practice both geriatrics and palliative care, although it's with a, a small um, small portion of my time. So. I know what people were facing, although I wasn't on the front lines myself. I was working from our um, our command centers to try to uh, to help orchestrate what the system's approach will be to the challenges, the incredible challenges that we were facing when we hit our surge of of, um, of the pandemic. So, I guess uh, as an overall summary, and then we can get more into the details. We have in in our system a geriatrics and then a separate palliative care collaborative. And that is um, there are members of each palliative care team and the leaders in palliative care across our system. We have 12 acute care facilities and we come together on a regular basis to plan and to, um, and to work and to feed off of each other's ideas and um, implement new programs and new things. So we already had this palliative care collaborative in place. So it was really an easy group to reach out to. So we did two things, I think, to help uh, overall manage um, the difficult situation of having conversations with, uh, with patients about goals of care when they were facing a serious medical illness Um, in the particular context of COVID. The first thing that we did was we set up a 24-7 palliative care hotline that was accessible to anyone from any of our hospitals or even any of our outpatient groups at any time. Um, We thought that that hotline would be all that people would need, but, um, but I was wrong about that. It was utilized, certainly, and we set it up initially to help people with symptom management, symptom management questions, um, or uh, curbside advice, kind of quick advice for complicated communication. But um, but what became uh, clear pretty quickly is that we needed... Something else because a lot the doctors were were really overwhelmed and um, and I think even before a pandemic pre pandemic these are difficult conversations to have with families and with patients um, so they wanted they wanted us to have those conversations so we set up a different service. Um, we kept the 24-hour palliative care hotline because it, it served um, a need when people were calling and saying, what medication do I prescribe for this patient and this symptom and for quick advice. But we set up another service that would, where we would call patient families or sometimes patients in the hospital um, because, uh, and have conversations. Most of the conversations were with families that were outside the hospital. Um, for patients who couldn't make decisions uh, for themselves. So um, we called that the Goals of Care Communication Team. And that was set up separately for our hardest-hit hospitals. Most of those were in the northern part of the state. Um, and basically, I the first hotline, the palliative care hotline, was staffed initially by our system's palliative care providers. But as they started to become busier, I staffed it with more of our administrative palliative care providers. So for example, me and a couple of my colleagues that were more involved administratively than clinically in order to make sure that we were available for the calls, all the calls that came in because my colleagues that were working at each hospital were pretty busy. And for the second hotline for the goals of care conversation team, we basically tapped into a group of physicians that that really wanted to help, but were not um normally in inpatient environments. so we um, we tapped into primary care attendings, um, outpatient docs, uh, some outpatient psychiatrists, and we um, we trained them and put them on a schedule to be able to make these calls when the request came in.
2: Wow. That's, that's really impressive. And how do healthcare workers deal with that? What is your guidance to them?
1: Well, I think that that we should talk a little bit about what it's like to break bad news, to give prognosis, to, um, to have difficult conversations with patients, even uh, outside of a pandemic. This is hard. And the truth is, it should be difficult because uh, in terms of like an emotional difficulty, because you are telling someone news that no one wants to hear. And that in itself is a barrier to it occurring on a regular basis. And some people are, are good at this type of news delivery and other people are not good at it. And frankly, for, for people who are not so good at it, I think that that's a place where where palliative care can be really helpful because you can call palliative care and say, and this exists in most hospitals across the country, and say, look, I I need your help here, and then put that conversation um, it's a complicated conversation in, in the hands of an expert. The issue with COVID was that um, and that the palliative care teams were so busy with the sheer volume of people who needed um, this level of expertise that they really had to focus on, um, on some of the more complicated cases in the hospital and what we call primary palliative care, and that is really the this communication angle where we're talking with patients about what's happening and what their goals are and what the next steps are, really fell on the shoulders of uh, physicians who who don't normally have these kinds of conversations. And, and it was hard. And I uh, 100% uh, recognize that. I would never say um, that our docs weren't good at it. And that's why they were calling us. Uh, they were just merely, they were overwhelmed and certainly overwhelmed with the volume Um, doing something that they don't normally do. And the pandemic made this, the conversations different in a couple of ways. One is... um. If you are a a doc, say, outside of a pandemic, who's taking care of a patient with advanced illness, there is a certain amount of uh, this conversation around the corner that maybe is a little bit expected. But in the circumstance of the pandemic, these were people that would never have been in this dire circumstance if they weren't faced with this overwhelming infection. So they may not have needed this type of conversation otherwise. And I think that that creates another barrier because um, really just because of that fact. So in terms of, uh, and then the third part that made it difficult, like like you said, is that these families were not there. Um, and for understandable reasons, but not being able to visit and be at the bedside uh, really is overwhelmingly difficult on so on so many levels. but even um even in circumstances where where we're not dealing with a pandemic and where an entire family is at a bedside, it's still hard um to uh, to have questions questions answered and to understand sometimes what's going on in the hospital and to get one story from one person. Um, I think that it, it's difficult on on so many different levels. And one of the the lessons that I learned uh, in my training and, and just from being a, a practicing palliative care physician and geriatrician is that any time... I go to have a conversation with a patient or a family about um, a serious medical illness or I'm about to deliver news that they might not know or they may know in some way, I always ask people, tell me what you understand about what's going on now, right? Because um, you, you really want to meet someone where they are. So in the circumstance of, of the uh, of COVID, you know, sometimes I would call family members and they really didn't know what was happening because, because they couldn't they couldn't be at the bedside to see it. You know, so you were really sort of starting at the beginning um, to help them understand what was happening with a with a particular patient. That being said, um, we really made two types of goals of care phone calls. The palliative care hotline. Um, ended up doing some of the more complicated phone calls for for families where there where we really dug into the patient record and we were able to answer questions and um, and try to uh, to help a, a family member understand with the goals of care hotline we did that I would say almost preemptively we we, uh, we wanted to have conversations about what goals were in place for patients pre medical, medical decompensation, you know, so some, some of those patients that we had conversations with on the goals of care hotline did okay, you know, and, and, and recovered and left the hospital. Um, we tried to catch people before they were in dire straits to really, to really say, um, look, there's this your we know that your mom is in the hospital because she has this infection, and we just want to talk to you so that we'll know her better in ways that she may want to be treated. you know it's our hope that um that she does well in the hospital, but if in the possibility that she doesn't tell us about tell us about your mom. have you had conversations with your mom about what kinds of medical decisions she might make if ever she was in um had a serious medical problem that could um, that could affect her 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 future prognosis. So um, that's a that's a
2: long winded answer, kind of winded around a lot to your
1: to your question, but um,
2: very helpful. Um, very helpful, and it actually makes me think about you know I, I did have the benefit of working in an area where we use palliative care very often, but something that transitions. Mm-hmm during my time uh you know working in that service line was that you know typically very early on you know w- many times we thought of palliative care and hospice care as almost synonymous but later you just touched on something that you know palliative care they're not synonymous and palliative care is so much more for the supportive whole care of the patient and a lot of our mm-hmm. our listeners are not necessarily clinical and maybe could you kind of bring us back to the basics the foundation on what really is the purpose of a palliative care physician and program and when should they be brought in So
1: it's a great question and I think I think something that um that a lot of people associate directly with hospice and you're right it is it's not the same thing and there there is a distinction so when when I came to practice in New Jersey, which is now like 18 years ago, palliative care was really a new emerging field in medicine. And I remember before I left the big New York City hospital that I worked in to come to New Jersey, um, my mentor there sat me down in her office a few days before I left and she said, okay, you're going to New Jersey to do palliative care. And a lot of people don't know what this is. How are you going to explain it? And I like sort of fumbled and came up with a lot of different definitions about what I thought it was, and and um, some of them were were correct. And she said to me, if you want to uh, to communicate this in the probably the easiest way possible, you can tell people that palliative care is good medical care for patients with serious medical illness. And I never forgot that because it applies uh, it applies so much to. Um, to helping people understand what palliative care is so hospice is really um is a wonderful service for people in the last six months of their life with a with a terminal prognosis and it can be delivered in the hospital it can be delivered in facilities it can be delivered at home there's a team-oriented approach it's really a it's a wonderful support program um, for uh, for patients at the end of their life there are palliative care patients that will eventually um, move into that hospice eligibility, but but palliative care is really upstream of that. So very often I'll meet a patient with serious medical illness. Uh, For example, let's say a patient who has breast cancer, who maybe is receiving chemotherapy and radiation therapy and just had surgery and has a a serious level of disease, but is pursuing all of those treatments um, and sees me as well. And my role there in early disease is I help with that symptom management, whatever that symptom may be, whether it's emotional, um, whether it's more of a physical, like a pain type symptom, but I also work with patients to talk um, openly and honestly about what their goals are what their what their treatment choices might be, um, and how to how to reach those goals um, based on based on what their clinical situation might be. So really divided into two halves. The first half is is um, expert symptom management, and the other half is expertise in communication.
2: Perfect. That's very helpful. And then what what are the best resources? And maybe can you talk a little bit about these resources that are that. You've been a part of, or any other resources available for hospitals to help ensure that they have what they need to make their processes, policies, procedures around um, palliative care sure,
1: sure so um so I, I should just clarify, you know in in calling families, I think that that there were um you know there was a fear that I think overall that that family members would be surprised to have phone calls about serious medical illness, about serious complications. But the experience I had was really much different. You know, in each case that I called, they were informed, they knew what was going on with the patient. So I think uh, the the, the case that I wrote about in in the article that I recently published, one of the cases just illustrative, was a gentleman who had had a, a major stroke, and his his wife knew he had a stroke. That was what that was well communicated to her. Um, it was really diving a little bit deeper into understanding what his wishes would ha- would have been could he have told us that himself. That was um, that was the difficult part because that takes um it takes some time and in calling her to have that conversation instead of her being surprised to have that phone call she was relieved i mean i remember she told me i've been watching the news you know i i i uh i was expecting a call like this you know like so she she wasn't um she wasn't surprised to hear that and i think that that um You know, that was really that was really eye opening for me um, because uh, everyone was in their homes, you know, social distancing and isolating and on lockdown and watching the news. And if you had someone that you loved in the hospital, I think with uh, with what people were taking in from the news, a lot of these, um, a lot of families were expecting to maybe have a phone call about something serious like this. So, um. So, in particular VitalTalks uh, vital talks a uh, uh, covid uh, communication tool was uh, was really useful, and we adapted that tool um to train our uh, conversation goals of care conversation teams because remember those were not palliative care physicians. those were people who did not have that type of training so the this, these conversation kits, and, and that is uh, similar to what is on the Center to Advance Palliative Care website, they, they really, they get pretty granular into when your patient says this, this is how you can respond, right? And sometimes in circumstances, giving people the actual words to use helps. Um, if you don't have to, uh, to kind of come up with what you think is going to be heard in the easiest way possible, if someone kind of helps you do that so that it was a really great guide. And I mean, the truth is with, as with any kind of a, of a, a written communication guide, you can't predict everything and you can't predict everything, whether you're in person and certainly not if you're, if you're on the phone, um, but it does help you to to kind of know if a, if a conversation is going in a certain direction, how you can provide comfort, how you can provide honesty, um, and how you how you can um, you can pull out important information. So I, I thought that those were really great tools. and um, the the cap C. The Center to Advance uh, Palliative Care's web- website is uh, is a great resource uh, for clinicians and hospitals about um, the mechanics of how to put things together and then the actual granular,
2: to- granular tools. If anything, I just hope um, we continue to grow. You know, you're right. Oh, most po- hospitals do have palliative care programs, but there could be so much more time and effort and energy and processes and programs put into our palliative care programs that could really benefit both our patients and the cost of care you know overall so such a great subject what didn't i ask that i should have asked um, or that you want to share um, to our listeners so i think the most important
1: thing we can do as 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 doctors and providers is, uh, is learn about our patients in terms of what their goals of care are. Um, and I think that, that, that there's a place for that in primary care medicine. The, the more we know about patients, the, um, the better care we can take of them and um, it, it guides conversations in the future. If, if you know how your patients feel, about certain types of treatments or um, about their disease in general, when you reach these roadblocks or changes in condition, you can then return to those conversations and, 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 and begin to have your new conversations. So you're not starting at ground zero. And I think that um, it helps both sides so, one of the things that we're looking to do at RWJ Barnabas Health is incorporate conversations about serious medical illness and goals of care in that context into um, more of the primary care outpatient setting. Um, upstream of an emergency, you know, when someone um, has an emergent change in their medical status that could affect you know, how they're, if they're going to live or not, you know, this is obviously an incredibly emotional time and it's never easy to make these types of decisions. And we we'd be fooling ourselves if we thought it gets easier because you've had these conversations, but there is something to be said for having a foundation, and um, so I, I think that that is um, that that's the that's the hallmark of exceptional medical care, that when someone comes into the hospital, even if that hospital team is a different team than the ones that that take care of them as an outpatient, clear communication about who this patient is and what's important to them as a foundation, I, I think, changes that situation. Uh,
2: you know a hundred percent from what it might have been. Absolutely. I absolutely, I completely, completely agree. What you're saying is so um, crucial and important to um, honestly what we're experiencing right now in our COVID pandemic, but um, also what we experience every day with our, our critically ill patients, our, our chronic, um sicknesses you know our uh, disease processes i think that we need to have these programs and have the tools and resources for our physicians so i so appreciate it thank you so much for your time today
0: thank you for listening to this episode of health trust candid conversations podcast please visit education.healthtrustpg.com to find additional resources for clinicians and to listen to more of our candid conversations